Tonight, Neil deGrasse Tyson's wake-up call to planet Earth. The renowned astrophysicist on his new book, Starry Messenger, and his cosmic perspective on thinking rationally, understanding truth, and the intersection between science and religion. Metro Focus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gansconi Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, and by Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jenna Flanagan. Though it may feel like our world is more polarized than ever before, a new book by best-selling author Neil deGrasse Tyson argues that with a slight change of perspective, we can begin to realize that humans may not be as divided as we initially seem. The book titled Starry Messenger, Cosmic Perspectives on Civilization, implores readers to look at the world from a cosmic perspective and to use science, objective truth, and rational thought to gain a better understanding of life and of each other. And joining me now to discuss his thoughts on life on Earth and beyond, as well as his new book, Starry Messenger, Cosmic Perspectives on Civilization, is Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. In addition to being a friend of the show, Neil is, of course, an astrophysicist and the director of the Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History here in New York City. It is a joy to have you on the show again, sir. Welcome, Dr. Tyson. Thanks for having me back, and please call me Neil. And by oh, the way, that well, introduction, that overview of the book, leaves me nothing left to say. <laughs> oh, well, then we're done here. It was great to have we're you on. Done. <laughs> we're done. Okay. Uh, but, but getting into the book, so just the initial, uh, I think at the forefront of everybody's mind, um, Cosmic Perspectives on Civilization. Okay, the most diplomatic way I can put it is that it feels as if civilization, as we know it, is being put through a stress test. And so what I, is I like this? that phrase. Very, yeah. very apt. Yes. Yes. Very good. <laughs> what okay. is the unique perspective that you're suggesting that maybe if we looked at it from a different perspective, it wouldn't be quite so anxiety inducing? Yeah. So I, I hate to put so much blame on the Internet because the Internet is such a a beautiful gift to civilization from the, the methods and tools of science and technology. But the fact that you can now have some idea, however crazy, type it into a search engine, and it'll bring you back everybody else who has that crazy idea, giving you the false impression, the delusional impression that you're really onto something and that you really got some new thing figured out. And this feeds your opinions. And then you hold your opinions with a greater strength than you might otherwise have simply because of the spurious research that you've done uh, to support it. And so I, I realized, by the way, that's, that's recent times, but uh -huh. this book has been gestating within me ever since I was a scientifically literate kid. 
basically since early middle school. I started looking around and I'd see grownups doing things. It's like, what? Did, have you thought about this? Have you, what do you, did you really, do you understand? And I, I collect, so in my head, my observations of what the world is doing and what they're arguing about and what they think is worth killing each other over in the limit. Uh, it's just, I, I, I couldn't, I, it was retained in me and was gestating and it finally birthed into this book. All right. Well, so just to give people an understanding, because, and we're going to get into uh, the rejection of scientific fact, but some people might say, well, wait a second. So much of science is based on uh, hypothesis, et cetera, that there's, you know, an educated guess. Why is your educated guess better than my Googled opinion? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> well, um, so first of all, uh, science on the contested frontier is is a very active place where ideas come and go. What happens is at a conference, I'll present, oh, by the way, people who think scientists just like to agree with each other, they've never been to a science conference, okay? So you go to a science conference and I present an idea that I think might have some merit. Someone else says, wait a minute, uh, have you considered this? Um, have you tested it in this way instead of that way? I have a different idea. And, and so this goes on and on in conferences. It is typically resolved when better or more observations and data and experiments are conducted. And once an emergent truth is established by these methods and tools and repeated experiments, it's done, it goes into the books, and we move on. And so, so yes, on the frontier, science is a bloody place. But once we have experimental agreement, it, it is in your interest to heed the advice that derives from it. All right. And I do want to circle back to uh, our societal understanding, embracing of science circle right now. But what I like about your book is that you sort of give us an arc of humanity to look at. And one of the people that you go back to is Galileo, which I don't think when people are thinking of, uh, you know, cosmically understanding society now, would we even consider some one of the ancients? One of his earliest published books was called Sidereus Nuncius, at Latin, of course. And in that book, he reported his first telescopic observations of the universe, where he revealed that the moon is not some smooth surface. It has mountains and valleys and hills. The sun is not some perfect orb. It has blemishes, what today we call sunspots. Uh, he noticed that Venus, a planet, goes through phases just like the moon does. He noticed that Jupiter has little Jupiter stars orbiting around it. Today, we know them to be moons. Oh, my gosh. If Jupiter has things moving around it, then Earth can't be the center of all motion, can we? And he presented enough data to show that Earth goes around the sun and not vice versa. And this got him into trouble. Okay? He was also a little bit of a jerk to the Pope. That might have helped. <laughs> Nobody likes a jerk. Nobody likes, you know, he was a little bit, you know, a little bit of a, a showboat with regard to these ideas relative to those held by others. Point is, in this book, these are messages from the stars changing how we think about the world here on Earth. And Sidereus Nuncius translates to 
Starry Messenger. And so all I did was forward forward move the the video of civilization from when he is showing authentic science and watching how it conflicts with what people are saying. But authentic science is true for everyone. Whereas your personal truths, you know, is Jesus your savior? Is Muhammad your last prophet? Is is Abraham your, you know, wh whatever are your personal truths, which are welcomed in a pluralistic free society, if you're going to pass laws, if you're going to try to win an argument, fight win an argument, there's value to going to the objective truths established by the methods and tools of science, because you can meet in a common place there. And so often when an objective truth is presented, your arguments just evaporate. You never really had an argument. And so there are many places, vistas, people who are arguing can travel to, and it's not far away from where you're standing, and say, well, I never thought about it that way. Oh, that's what science says. This is what a cosmic perspective brings. And then you sh then you shake hands and go have a beer. I don't see how I win the argument with that perspective. <laughs> no, no, you don't win Which, the that's argument. That's a perspective that I think a lot of people at this point are starting to bring. Um, I'm looking to score points and win, not necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know, I know. Good point. So sorry. So yes, when you, when people argue their opinions they will argue more and more strenuously because they want to win the argument. Whereas many such conflagrations would not exist at all if you, you both paused, stepped to this new place, this cosmic perspective place, and then took a look back at the argument and say, you know, we were really weren't arguing about anything at all. And so, yes, it diffuses the... the um, the energy that you're investing in that argument. So I'm thinking people should, you know, I don't like telling people what to do, but in this mm -hmm. moment, I'm going to tell you what to do. Get the book <laughs> before your Thanksgiving dinner. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> It'll completely change the tone, the outcomes, the, the wisdom that goes across the uh, table. That, that's, okay. all, that's all I'm saying. No, no, no. That's that's actually, and I think that could definitely be very useful to a lot of people. Who and can I give already. an example? I know sure. we, we got more time here, but can I just start out with an example? Absolutely. Okay? Uh, each chapter name has two uh, warring factions as the title. So one of them, one of the, well, I start more peacefully. War, uh, there's a chapter called Truth and Beauty. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, another one, life and death. I end with life and death. But there are other chapters, meat eaters and vegetarians. They're always going at it. I thought I'd jump in there, add some science to it. Okay. Uh, uh, there's also uh, 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 gender and identity. Also have color and race. Yeah, I went there. And yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, law and order. Uh, there's another one, risk and reward. And there's one, you know, we have very poor, as a, as a species, as, as a humans, we have very poor collective understanding of probability and statistics. It's not taught in schools. It, it might be an elective that you have to choose to take in high school, certainly available in college, but it's not in the base curriculum anywhere that I've seen in kindergarten through 12. Meanwhile, look at how our ignorance in this world is exploited. There's an entire industry that has arisen 
to exploit the fact that we do not know how to think probabilistically and statistically about this world. They're called casinos. The fact that you can have a roulette table and someone is betting on seven or whatever number, and I say, why are you betting on seven? Well, we're due for a seven. A seven hasn't come in a while. And look, you see the previous numbers that have been rolled, okay? You're not, you're not due for a seven. The probability is exactly the same every time they roll the wheel. But our, our weaknesses in this regard are known by others and exploited, and they're taking your money because of it. And that's it's tragic, right? I'm, I'm not blaming the individual. I think there's some problem with our, how our brain is wired that we don't think that way. You'll, you'll meet some friend, long-lost friend in a foreign city, and you say, oh, uh, you know, what are the odds? Oh, this can't be just coincidence. Yes, it is. <laughs> Coincidence. Hold on. You're taking the magic out of life right now. Oh, excuse me. There's plenty of other magic out there. We don't know what dark matter is, dark energy, what was around before the universe. How will the universe end? Is it a big rip? Is it a big crunch? There's a lot of mystery still in the universe. We still don't understand consciousness. And you know the evidence of that? People keep publishing books on what consciousness is. The more people publish on a subject, is evidence that the less we actually know of it, okay? You go to the physics aisle, all right, and look for all the physics books on gravity. There's like mm -hmm. three books. We got we got that, okay? All right, so, so evidence that we are still on the frontier of things is that people are still talking about it and still jockeying for position. So there's still plenty of mystery in the world, but let it be authentic mysteries and not one you manufacture that we have actual knowledge of. Yeah, but give your brain against, more respect than that. Doesn't, <laughs> but doesn't that go against the way that people historically have experienced at least this earthly realm, if you will? Like there's a certain level of which, um, you know, things that where you're talking about probability. And I'd love for you to sort of explain why it is that we're misunderstanding that or not understanding it at all um, can seem, you know, kismet or something like there's been words a lot of words used to describe what to hue to the perhaps not fully educated human mind can interpret as sort of like random magic yeah so if you look at the history just just go back okay let's take a very serious version of that example all right uh go back 300 years someone would be sitting there and then all of a sudden begin convulsing possibly even frothing at the mouth, and they'd be laid out on the ground. If you are deeply religious, and you believe there, especially Christian, and you believe there is a hell, and that there is a devil occupying that hell, all of these symptoms are completely consistent with the person just got occupied by some devil spirit, and you need to rid them of this. So you quickly... I was going to say call. You quickly find the, the priest. You know, towns are small. The priest is yeah. not far away. And they come, take them a few minutes to get the holy water, get the robe, uh, run over to your residence. Okay. So minutes go by now, five, 10 minutes. And they come and they bless, they uh, utter some uh, words in Latin. And then the symptoms go away. And they say, Thank you, Father, for um, uh, ridding. Uh, our our son or our father of, of this of this ailment we can keep believing you are occupied by the devil or you can you can improve your understanding 
of phenomena in the world by learning science. And that, of course, I described as best as I could an epileptic seizure, Mm -hmm. which typically run their course over the time it took the priest to walk to your home to then administer the holy water. So here's a case where, uh, in this case, they wouldn't have called it magic. They would have called it um, uh, God intervening. But it's the same principle in that it's something that is beyond what science knows at the time. And so how much of that are you going to, to adhere to in a world of modern science where we've asked those questions and answered most of them? And so I, I, I think you should, you know, as there's a saying, what, what Galileo said is, um, why would God presume, because he's a religious man, mm-hmm. um, why would God give you a brain with the power to figure things out and then not expect you to use it? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good. <laughs> I mean, that that's a, that's an excellent analogy, although one might question then, you know, but if everyone's using their brain, then, you know, it's harder to set up um, an empire. But that's another conversation. Uh, I do also <laughs> want to ask, I do seriously want to ask. That you- is a whole other conversation. You have to be manipulatable at some point in order to obey uh, leaders and things, yes. That, I, that, that has been a uh, crucial cornerstone of most civilizations. But um, I do also want to ask, because of course you are before the uh, starry infiniteness of the universe. And you've I'm also, <laughs> but you've also <laughs> mentioned religion several times. And I'm wondering from your perspective, from your cosmic perspective, there sort of seems to be a shift, particularly with younger people, where they're turning away from or perhaps not embracing religion in the way that previous generations have, but instead are looking to the heavens. They're exploring um, the stars and lunar patterns and how that may or may not uh, impact our lives here on Earth. And I'd love to get your perspective on the growing popularity of that practice. Yeah, so you mixed a few things together there that I'm going to unpack. So one of them is, yes, there is a growing, in fact, it's the fast, last I checked in a Pew poll, uh, is the fastest growing... Uh, sector, religious sector of the United States are those people who are not formally affiliated with any religion, but so therefore they've separated from Judaism, Christianity, Catholicism, whichever branch of Christianity, they've separated, but still declare themselves to be spiritual. Okay. So that population is growing. So is the population who are just rejecting all religion and spirituality entirety that uh, entirely so that's growing in the united states it's already been very high in europe um europe has some of the highest uh uh, frequency of atheism anywhere in the world uh, including italy which is the home of rome and and the vatican of course Mm -hmm. so these are these are trend lines that have been going for the past couple of hundred years um that being said the united states is still primarily a, a religiously following a country, not in our laws necessarily, but in in people's conduct. So what might have been up around 90% a couple of decades ago has dropped to around 80 to 70% of people who pray to a god to intercede in the activities of their life. That's how you ask the question, are you religious? Not do you go to church every Sunday, because many people go to church just for the social life or the cupcake sale or whatever. You want to ask a more pointed question 
And if you pray to a personal God, you're religious. By the way, there's a non-zero fraction of, of Western scientists who are religious and pray to a personal God. So being, I would say it, it's up around, it be, depending on what, which branch of science, um, uh, between very low single digits up to as much as 40%. Engineers are about 40, 50% religious. So, and they're scientifically trained. So being a scientist is not synonymous with, be, not that you ask, but I add this. Yeah. Uh, being a scientist is not synonymous with being an atheist. And in a country with laws that protect freedom of religion, um, uh, the, the pluralism of that is a beautiful thing. And I, uh, you know, I, it, it makes for a fascinating diversity of culture and traditions, and um, that's what makes life kind of interesting. Okay. It becomes an issue when, if you have a religious personal truth that you want to impose on others who don't share that personal truth, and then you rise to power over legislation or laws. Then you pass laws based on your religion that you make other people follow. That's the seeds of un the unraveling of an informed pluralistic democracy. I mean, at the same time, I'm also curious about, uh, well, yeah, I just have to flat out say it. A lot more people are turning to things like astrology in an attempt oh, to gain perspective on how they're experiencing the world now. For me, I, I don't know that there's a difference between being deeply religious and following religious tenets about your life, what you should do, who's going to be there walking next to you when you're uh, troubled. Uh, you know, there's the famous uh, parable about foot footprints in the sand, right? there, mm -hmm. uh, And uh, is Jesus there next to you or not when you're in time of trouble? And because right at your time, when you're worse, there was only one set of footprints. And, and said, Jesus, where were you when I needed you? And the retort to that is, I was carrying you. And so that's why there's only one set of footprints. Um, so these are ways that people help help people cope with the challenges of life. And uh, ch challenges of life today are very different from what they were 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. But we all have challenges. Uh, you know, financial challenges, personal challenges, social challenges, family challenges, cultural ca challenges. So so if you were once religious and now you're going to reject religion, but you still have this need, then, yeah, the astrology is waiting there in the wings. There it is. Oh, you're know, having a bad day? Mercury is in retrograde. It explains things without even mention of Jesus. Okay. Oh, I, you know, I have hard um, finances this month. Let me check my horoscope. Oh, you may, you know, uh, come into more uh, luck this month or whatever, whatever it is, mm -hmm. it becomes a, 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 a psychological support system for you. And I don't know that science can provide that. Okay. I'm going to tell you it's a cold, unfeeling world. And you're going to have to take charge of your own fate rather than credit or blame things that science can demonstrate has positively no effect on you. But that's not going to matter because you need to believe it and you proceed. Um, uh, for me, is it taking away what makes you feel good or is it freeing you? 
I would pose that question back. The freedom is, oh my gosh, I'm in control, not something else. I worry that if something doesn't go well in your life and you start blaming other things, you will not take the necessary action to correct what it is that's going wrong in your life. And I've met many a religious people who are destitute, either emotionally or physically or financially, and they say, but God will take care of me. I'm not worried about it. And if not in this life, then in the afterlife. Okay, so they're, they're living decades in destitute, and they're not going back to school. They're not, because of this confidence they've placed on forces outside of them. I'd like to think science frees you from that. It's kind of a decision prison, if you will. And wow. um, so, and by the way, there are other things that you can take solace in, in the universe. I'll give you one. You ready? This, mm -hmm. this is the greatest cosmic perspective of them all. A gift to, to 20th century civilization by astrophysicists in the year 1957. Okay. It was a research paper published with four authors. Uh, one of them, uh, a brilliant woman, by the way, who, who's kind of lost in the in the annals of, of great scientists because okay. uh, she's co-author well, on this sorry, paper. By the way, sorry, we have a minute left. So on this okay. paper, they 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 showed that the origin of the elements in your body is, is traceable to stars that manufactured them in their cores, then exploded, scattering that enrichment across the galaxy, going into gas clouds, making this the next generation of stars and planets. So we are not poetically, we are literally stardust. And when you look up at night and you say, well, I'm alive in this universe, there's another way to look at it. The universe is alive within you. That is a scientific fact, objective truth, that borders on the spiritual. There's a lot of that throughout science and throughout the universe that we're all connected genetically. That, you're saying, I'm special because I'm different. Maybe you're special because we're all the same and we're made of stardust. This that, is, that is, is remarkable. We're connected though. to other life on Earth. Yeah. I can take you there. <laughs> you don't need to think in magic and, and, and wizards and you don't need that. The truth is enough. That is a wonderful thought for all of us to take away from uh, not just this book, but of course your ongoing life's work is the connectedness that we actually all have. And that is to the greater universe. That was kind of religious. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, Virtual, I would say. Yeah, okay. Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, thank you so much again. We always uh, enjoy having you on and look forward to your next visit. Excellent. Thank, thanks for having me. Absolutely.